0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, and we want to continue in our study as we are in a current expository study of 1 Peter. And last Wednesday night, we left off with verses 15 and 16, and I want to begin there tonight as we uh, embrace. Another Wednesday evening of studying God's Word. So I'm giving you a little time to find that place, first Peter chapter one, and then I'll read verse number fifteen and sixteen again and uh, reference a passage in Leviticus. But again, let's look at first Peter chapter one, beginning in verse number fifteen and sixteen. Peter says, But as he which hath called you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. There is a lot to see in this connecting passage, verse 15 and 16, and I want to take it a little deeper tonight and give you a broader uh, thought that Peter, I believe, is really more focused on and... I want to read that for you in just a minute but first I asked you last week to put in the margin of your bible the passage Leviticus 11:44 because what Peter is saying here is a quotation a direct quotation from the old testament Leviticus chapter 11 verse number 44 and I want to read that passage they have it here on the screen for you you can follow along with me a little faster But the scripture says, for I am the Lord your God, you shall stand or you shall therefore sanctify yourselves and you shall be holy. Look at that. And you shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, this passage deals with a couple of things. One, especially coming from Leviticus, It deals with the rituals and typology. By the way, let me say this, that the Old Testament primarily was given to us in shadows and types and examples. We look back to and we can see, we can connect some dots in the New Testament. But particularly this passage in Leviticus deals with rituals and typologies in in, uh, the ceremonial and the cleanliness aspects of diet. The consumption of food. Now, that is nowhere near all of what Peter's talking about. But along those lines, uh, he's talking about animals that were considered clean and unclean. A ceremonial clean animal was one that chewed the cut. And I'm not going to go back and review all of that part of it because we did a thorough job last uh, Wednesday night. But what I want you to look a little deeper into with me this evening at, at this passage, Peter's talking about the clean and the unclean. And this is where uh, I believe a, a deeper thought originates in our study. He's stressing how important it is not only to uh, make the distinction in the cleanliness of these animals, which... God gave him a tremendous vision, which we're going to take time to see in just a minute. But he's talking about how to have a clean, pure, holy relationship, a holy heart with God. And he's going to make a huge point about this uh, in this writing. So with that in mind, we'll come back to 1 Peter in just a minute. But I want you to go back with me to the book of Acts because I want you to see this whole event as it unfolds. And uh, you probably... Most of you anyway are familiar with this text in Acts chapter 10, because when Peter's talking about the unclean thing and unholy versus holy, there was a time in his life when he struggled to press forward with God's instruction on the eating of various meats or animals that was previously condemned under the Old Testament law. And so God really took Peter to a Sunday school hour on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. I reference this occasionally because I think that uh, those of you that uh, do attend a master's class, if you... uh, are not in Sunday school. You need to be in Sunday school. And I would say that brother Danny's done a masterful job teaching on the apostles, all of them, their lives, livelihoods. And, uh, he specifically taught on this particular subject, uh, on one Sunday morning. And, uh, it was very thorough, very, uh, enlightening and informative. Let me take you a little, uh, into that thought that he developed. And, uh, launch it from this perspective in 1 Peter tonight. But I want you to look with me in chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, and I'm going to read through verse number 16 because this was an incredible experience in the life of Simon Peter dealing with this aspect of be ye holy because I'm holy. And uh, Peter gave us a lot more than just uh, uh, a lesson on dietary. So in verse number 9, Chapter 10, on the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, let me say he is, he is now on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house. This is in Joppa. I've been there before. I've taken many of you with me to the Holy Land numerous times. And uh, in the early days when we went, we were allowed to actually go on the rooftop Today, um, they do not let the public go on top of the house, uh, but they let us go to the house, and we can see where this experience occurred. Um, But it was quite an amazing pilgrimage to actually stand on this rooftop in this location. So Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and would have eaten but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him. Now, this this is amazing. This is important. This is where uh, the door of the Gentiles were, were opened. Uh, this is the door of faith. God is doing an incredible work in Peter's life. And you have to remember that Peter was one who had adhered to the law in great extremes. And so what God was asking him to do, Peter was in a controversy. He was saying, no, Lord, you're asking me to do something that's unholy, that's unclean. And I know what the law says. I know what the word says. And God was really trying to get this point across to Peter that it was okay to do certain things, not just in a dietary perspective, but also taking the gospel to Gentiles whom were considered to be unclean in themselves, this was significant this was a a a huge event that was taking place and so, in verse number eleven again, and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet now this this is literal now you need to understand that this is just not figuratively uh this is this is literally happening to Peter. Just as much as John saw the revelation on the Isle of Patmos, but Peter he sees this great sheet, this knit at four corners, uh, being let down to earth. So you can imagine that, if you will, sort of almost like uh he was holding a type of a parachute type of a thing. He had four corners in his hand, the sheet was coming down and uh to earth in the verse twelve, wherein Look at this, were all manner of four-footed beasts on the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Basically, every type of meat that God had condemned uh, the Jew to partake of under the law in the Old Testament. And the scripture says, and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Verse number 13, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this is when Peter gets into a great controversy uh, with God. By the way, that's not the first time he got into a controversy. Do you remember when the Lord said to him, Peter, wash my feet? Do you remember that? And what did Peter, "No, no, sir, not me, Lord. And Jesus said, if you don't do this, Peter, you can't have any part of me. And so Peter then submitted to what the Lord. So there was a time in Peter's just he wrestled a lot with things. And so here, God is telling him, Peter, what was not permitted under the law, what was not permitted uh, in the ceremonial and the ritual aspect of being a Jew, God is saying there is a new dispensation, and I'm changing that. I'm rearranging things. It's okay. It's okay now. Understand that this was not just about food. There's a greater presentation of God that was connected to all of this. But Peter's wrestling and he says, not so, Lord. Remember now, when, when um, Jesus was speaking to Peter about the foot washing episode, Peter, it, the Lord really wanted to wash his feet. And he said, Lord, you, I'm not, not going to let you do this. Jesus said, if you don't let me do this, he said, you cannot have any part with me. And then Peter said, wash all of me, Lord, wash all of me. And so he was struggling. But notice this in verse 14. Uh, not so, Lord, for I have, look at this, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Don't forget what he's talking about. Peter is admonishing us to be holy because God's holy. And this is about holiness in Peter's mind. And he says, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. Look at this. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. So I want you to think about this. By the way, this this man who owned the house where Peter was, he was considered to be unclean in himself because he made his living working with unclean animals. And that was a ceremonial aspect with the Jewish people as well. But... So here's the deal. While Peter was sleeping, God took him into a trance, so to speak, and a vision of a sheep came down from heaven. It was tied at the four corners to form some type of bag, if you will. And in the bag, it was full of unclean beasts. And a voice from heaven told Peter, Look, what was condemned in the Old Testament, I'm now giving you permission to participate, to eat it, to enjoy it. And Peter began to protest because he said, I have never done this in my life. Lord, you know this. I'm not going to do this. So God had to teach him this lesson three times. And three times Peter had acted in the same way. Three times he was told that he must not label the things unclean that God had cleansed. But again, I want to emphasize something to you. This was not just about food. If we if we just limit it to that, we miss the whole thing. As the vision faded, this is the more interesting thing. Now I'm get, I'm glad God gave Peter this permission because I don't know about you, but I love barbecue, don't you? And and we we've got the thumbs up here. All right. So Peter found out quick just exactly what he had been missing, but as the vision faded about all of these animals, now God says, oh, it's okay, you can you can eat of them. While this vision was fading from him, there came three men knocking at his door. And these people, they were Gentiles. Now this is significant to me when I read this story. This, uh, I'm not going to say one aspect is greater than the other, but th- this is something that really appealed to me, it gripped my heart, I think more so than the barbecue. But they were Gentiles. They had been sent by a centurion. His name was Cornelius. Maybe you're familiar with this. Now look at this in verse 16. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had Seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee arise. Therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing. God was saying this, Peter, listen, you're getting ready to take a journey you've never been on. You're getting ready to go into the house of some Gentiles. You've never done that before. But God said, listen, this is my instructions. Do not doubt it. For I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause? Wherefore, ye are come. What is it that you want with me? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. So Peter went. Trusting God, believing what God had said, and he was convinced by the vision that he had seen on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house to enter into a Gentile home. And I really believe this was the first time that this has happened. Otherwise, there would not have been the wrestle and the struggle that was going on. As he began to tell these Gentiles about Jesus, According to the word of God, the Holy Spirit came down, and as a result of that, the Gentiles were saved. Now, in short, Peter never forgot this experience. He well knew by the time that he was writing 1 Peter, he well knew that there was a big difference in ceremonial and ritual cleanliness in comparison, and here's the greater point for me. He knew that there was a much Greater difference in ceremonial and ritual cleanliness as in compared to spiritual cleanliness, and so he was adamant about this in his writing in first peter he he knew that Calvary and Pentecost changed all the ceremonial stuff, and in this passage here in First Peter chapter. One in verse number 15 and 16, Peter's talking about the, the holiness that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that could make us holy. We cannot be holy in our own. There's absolutely nothing we can do to make ourselves holy in our own accord. But Christ living in us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's what makes the difference. And so verse 17 now, 1 Peter 1 verse 17 And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Look at the first part of this. And if you call on the Father, I've shared this with you many times. I don't begin my day without first spending some time in prayer. Before my feet hit the floor, I'm praying. I'm thanking God for everything that He's done for me and my family the day before throughout the night. He's allowed me another day to serve Him. And and I spend several moments in prayer before I actually start moving on the floor. You can call on the Father anywhere, anytime, anywhere. This morning on my way in, I knew Brother Brian Pollard was struggling with the fact that his mother was knocking on the door of heaven. He did not know when we don't know when and she may have already passed by now. I don't know. I have not talked to him since early this morning, but in my car in my truck on the way down here to the office. I dialed him early and I said, brother. Give me the update. And he told me exactly what was happening. I said, listen, if you've got just a moment, because they were getting ready to walk out the door and head to the hospital. I said, if you have just a moment, can I pray with you? And I began to pray with him. I was driving my truck. Now, listen, let me also say this. You don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to close your eyes. You can call on the Father any time of the day and night, no matter where you are, what you're doing, you can call on the Father. That's significant. We had prayer together. I'm thankful that he can be approached, aren't you? Anytime, day or night. In fact, let me give you a scripture for that. You can write this down in your notes if you're taking notes tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see this in verse 19. I want to read verse 19 through verse number 23. Because we have a bold invitation to call on the Father. There's something significant about this word uh, Father here that we're going to read in just a moment. But in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number 19, the word says this. Having therefore, brethren, the boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So here's the thing. God the Father can be approached any time, any place, any day, under any circumstance. But this word Father here, In verse number 17, and if you call on the Father, we know what the Scripture talks about when we read several times in the New Testament about Abba Father. That should not be a foreign term to you, Abba Father. In fact, the word Abba is is an Aramaic word. When Jesus spoke on this earth, when he verbally spoke on this earth, that's what he spoke. He spoke Aramaic. The word Abba, Father, is, is an Aramaic word, and it signifies to be very close, a very close intimacy. The scripture that I want to give you for this tonight in Galatians chapter 4, verse number 6, and I want you to uh, make the conclusion with me as well. But in this particular passage, Galatians 4, verse 6, the word says, And because ye are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Look at this crying, Abba, Father. And only a born-again Christian can call God Father. It's important that you know that. And the Abba, Father that the scripture is talking about, it's, it's the conveying of intimacy, the closeness, With Father. So when we come to God in prayer, we look to Him as our Father. But He looks to us through the Lord Jesus Christ as children. So you can better understand this relationship. As a believer, He is our Father. He looks to us. In Christ as children. And he has a compassionate heart. I don't have time tonight. That's not the the thrust of the Bible study, the compassionate side of God. He is a God of compassion. But there's more here than just the father side of God, uh, who is a God of compassion. I want you to look at the second part of verse 17 in 1 Peter. Without respect of persons, judging according to every man's work. And that is this, God judges every man's work. All of us. He judges us by what we say, what we think, what we do. And here's the thing about God's judgment. He's always fair. He always gives justice. Do, God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't give special treatment to some while sending thunder down on others. That's not the way God operates. He has no favors. But I thank God and I praise him that he's always approachable, always approachable. In fact, there's a scripture that teaches us this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16, and you're probably really familiar with it. It said, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God has given us an invitation to come to him boldly as our father. As, as we look to him as Abba Father, we have that close intimacy with him, and he, in relationship to us, sees us as his children. He gives us the invitation to come boldly. Now, not brazenly, but boldly. That's a big difference. Now, verse number 18, and I think we have time to get through this verse before we end tonight. Look at this, First Peter 1, 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your father's, And Peter's now saying that the character of God, it really demands our sanctification. Let me emphasize something to you tonight. There's a big difference between justification and sanctification. You can be justified one time, just as though you have never sinned. When you come to the cross, you realize you are a sinner. You repent of those sins. You confess your sins. You ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart. Paul teaches us this beautifully in Romans that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, we understand that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We open our hearts to the Lord. We ask him to come in to be our Savior, forgive us of our sins to cover us with his precious blood. According to the scriptures, he will do that. We only need to be saved one time, justified, just as though we had never sinned, cleansed and redeemed, brought into the family Of God. But sanctification is much different than justification, where justification only takes place one time in our life. And I know, listen, I know many people who pray the sinner's prayer every week. There are probably some people that pray the sinner's prayer every day. Now, is that necessary? Absolutely not. Once you're saved, you're always saved, and there's nothing you can do to be unsaved from the family of God. Nothing. We believe in the eternal security of the believer. But sanctification is much different than justification. Sanctification is something that needs to take place every single day in our life. Every day we need to say, Lord, move me a little closer to the cross. Help me be today what you would have me to be. Lord, today I would like to separate myself. That's what this is, is a separation from the world. Every day we need to separate ourselves from the world. And Peter reminds us in this passage that, look at this, salvation is not for sale. Now, I'm not going to have time to go to the book of Acts where I wanted to go with this scripture. It's time to end. We'll pick up with verse number 18 next week, but let me read the whole verse for you again. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Let me end by saying this. Salvation and grace is not for sale. If salvation was for sale, there would be lines circling this globe many multiple times trying to buy it. But because it's free, People by the millions reject it. Salvation is the free gift of God. So, this is a good place to stop tonight. You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot. For more information, visit our website at Buford Road Baptist